Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, the podcast that opens the doors of the New Hampshire State House, pulls a bill out of the legislative process, and unpacks the facts, pros, and cons. The New Hampshire Legislature will vote on over 1,000 bills this year, which is a lot to follow. Each week, this podcast highlights one bill that might not be getting news coverage, but still could impact what's for sale at your local farmer's market, or how often you pay for a dog license, or whether your employer has to pay you for unused vacation time. I'm Mike Dunbar, content editor for Citizens Count. And I'm Anna Brown, director of research and analysis for Citizens Count. Today, we're talking about a substance with a long history of kickbacks, corruption, and even death. This white stuff is everywhere across the United States. I'm talking, of course, about milk, specifically dairy milk, since these days people are milking everything from coconuts to cashews. <laughs> and there's that whole thing, too, I was just watching about how, like, the word milk is, you know, they, they don't want to call almond milk milk because that's bad for the dairy Yeah, like, industry. what do they call it now? Like, almond beverage or something? <laughs> Much less appetizing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So... Right now, it seems the controversy around milk is a war between cows and plants, but milk has a whole history of scandals. In the 1970s, the milk industry basically bribed Nixon through his re-election campaign to restrict ice cream and cheese imports, among other things. In the 2000s, a government-created dairy industry group helped Domino's pay to advertise their new pizza recipe in exchange for doubling the cheese on top, which prompted some accusations about misuse of government funds. The New York Times, I think, was the one who broke that story. Go back to the 1850s, and you'll find stories about the so-called swill milk scandals. Very gross. Milk producers in New York kept cows in these terrible conditions right next to breweries, feeding them residual mash, so distilleries, breweries. And then they tried to make this putrid milk look better by adding things like plaster of Paris and something like 8,000 children died. But I swear this podcast is not about bashing milk. I, I personally love dairy milk. I just went down a bit of a history rabbit hole researching this bill because at first glance, I couldn't figure out why it was controversial. All right. Well, I love a good conspiracy, but we're not a history podcast, so we should probably figure out what bill we're talking about today. Yes. And we're actually talking about two bills. I'm just going to keep being difficult. So HB 95 <laughs> and HB 1187, but both bills have the same intent. They would allow the sale of raw milk ice cream in New Hampshire, so long as the ice cream was labeled like other raw milk products and limited to six ounce containers. And this is actually the third year in a row that state legislators are debating whether raw milk ice cream should be legal. Interesting, interesting. Well, the last time I checked, ice cream is definitely legal. So the issue here is obviously the raw milk part. What is raw milk? Raw milk is unpasteurized and pasteurization is a process that uses heat to kill bacteria. So they don't quite boil the milk, but they bring up the temperature. Right. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that the swill milk from the 1850s was some of that unpasteurized stuff. Oh, right? uh, totally not pasteurized. And to be fair, there's really no comparing today's unpasteurized raw milk to what was going on back then because of all that crazy stuff with things they were putting in it and whatever else. But so there are some natural food enthusiasts who ag argue that pasteurization strips nutrients and enzymes from milk. So they want to drink raw milk. And the CDC acknowledges that there's a small chance or small change, I should say, in the nutritional content of pasteurized milk, but they argue it's minimal and far outweighed by the danger of foodborne illness. 
States didn't start legally requiring pasteurization until the mid-20th century, so basically 100 years after the swill milk thing. And some states still don't require pasteurization. The federal government does require pasteurization for any milk that crosses state lines. Gotcha. So is raw milk legal in New Hampshire, or does the state require pasteurization? In New Hampshire, it is generally legal to sell raw milk very much consistent with live free or die. Large licensed milk producers do have to pass certain safety tests, but if a farm produces less than 20 gallons of milk to sell each day, they can sell raw milk directly to consumers without a milk license. And then the raw milk needs to be labeled with the farm's name, contact information, and the statement, this product is made with raw milk and is exempt from New Hampshire licensing and inspection. State law allows small farms to sell raw milk cheese, yogurt, cream, butter, and kefir, kind of weird, <laughs> under the same similar rules. I love the idea of having a milk license that that feels like you're some kind of special agent for uh, for the dairy industry. But well, it's like it's it's kind of a big deal. I think I, I read some you know tens of thousands of dollars probably to, to set yourself up. But wow, uh, okay, all right. So it's not just as simple as buying a cow and you know putting your hanging your shingle up that you sell milk, right? Well, yeah, unless you are that small producer, in which case right. you're exempted. Right. All right. Well, notably missing from that list you mentioned earlier of uh, you know raw milk, cheese, etc. Uh, ice cream. Yes. They mentioned cream, but not ice cream. That's and hence right. the two bills we're talking about today. Right. This is another one of those classic New Hampshire bills that started with a very specific story behind it. In 2019, the New Hampshire Department of Health and Human Services cited Little Red Hen Farm and Homestead in Pittsfield for selling raw milk ice cream. They sold about 40 cups of raw goat's milk ice cream a day, among other products. The department said their raw milk ice cream sales were illegal because ice cream is not explicitly listed in state law along with cream. Yep, put that cream in an ice bucket and you just might find yourself on the wrong side of the law. Inspired by the plight of the Little Red Hen, in 2020, a group of lawmakers introduced a bill to add raw milk ice cream and frozen yogurt to the list of allowed products in state law. Then the legislature suspended activity due to COVID-19, and that effectively killed the bill. In 2021, a slightly larger group of legislators reintroduced the bill as HB 95. That bill did have bipartisan support, but it hit a snag when the state reported 50 cases of foodborne illness among people who drank raw milk from a farm in Rollinsford. So the Senate voted to slow down HB 95 and spend more time studying this whole raw milk thing again. Right. And this is interesting to me because the Rollinsford farm was actually a larger licensed dairy farm. So they're pretty different from the Little Red Hen, which was unlicensed with, I think, just three goats. Yeah. And at the bill hearing, raw milk supporters were quick to point out this difference. They said that smaller farms are more likely to notice if something is wrong with their animal or the milk. Right. Okay. But still, it was raw milk and something like 50 people got sick. No matter how clean and healthy your cows are, there's a risk of bacteria in raw milk. And I think a challenge with ice cream is how appealing it is to young kids, especially. I'm not a scientist, but I can imagine there are higher risks from foodborne illnesses in children. I too, not a scientist, and neither are many raw milk supporters. But nonetheless, they assert they have a right as consumers to make the choice to buy raw milk products, including ice cream. There are many people out there who assert that they would rather put raw milk in their bodies than milk that goes through any processing, including pasteurization. Also, since the state has allowed raw milk cheese, yogurt, and so on since 2012, 
they argue it seems kind of arbitrary to draw the line at ice cream. Worth noting here that New Hampshire's dairy farms have been struggling for a while to make ends meet. Dairy farming is a lot cheaper in Western states. Plus, the coronavirus put a major dent in milk orders from restaurants and schools. Raw milk ice cream may seem minor, but it's another product that New Hampshire farmers could sell to stay in business. All right, Mike. If I have an opinion on raw milk ice cream, what should I do? I'm so glad you asked. Well, as we mentioned, there are two bills related to this issue. HB 1187 has a public hearing on January 25th at 1030 in the morning in the legislative office building behind the State House. If you can't make it to the hearing in person, you can also share your opinion online. To do that, you go to the legislature's homepage, which is, uh, it's kind of a confusing URL, but it's gencourt.state.nh. US. Catchy, I know. Scroll near the bottom of the page and click the link to House Online Testimony Submission slash sign-in form. Enter the hearing date, which is January 25th. Select the House Environment and Agriculture Committee, and then fill in your name, location, email, and opinion. The House recently added the ability to upload a PDF copy of written testimony, which means you can get testimony in the official public record even if you can't show up to the hearing in person. Right, which is a big deal. So, you know, lots of options here. What about HB 95, though, the other bill we talked about? Right, because we had said that that had started last year in 2021. So the Senate recently passed HB 95 with an amendment that adds an additional warning label requirement. So raw milk ice cream containers would have to say in all caps, raw milk, consuming raw (laughs) milk may increase your risk of foodborne illness. So basically just a scarier warning. Since the Senate made this change, the bill has to go back to the full House of Representatives for a vote, and they have yet to schedule their next voting date. You can still contact your representatives and tell them whether they should vote for or against the bill whenever it comes up. All right, it's time for our segment only in New Hampshire. Anna, what do you have for us today? Mike, when you were growing up, did your family use margarine or butter? I feel like that's one of those things that my my mom like refers to a lot when she's talking about a recipe, and it's always like, that. that just feels like you know, kind of like it can't be good for you. I know it's definitely not good for you, but. Well, we, my family used margarine in the nineties because there was this time when it was supposedly healthier than butter, kind of like. Yeah. And then everything that was supposed to be healthier for you, like turned like, uh, it, yeah, I'm sure it's not the same thing, but it reminds me of, uh, I can't believe it's not butter. Oh, totally. And how about the recent fad <laughs> with coconut oil where it's like coconut oil is like so much healthier. And then everyone's mm-hmm. like, this is a solid fat at room temperature, which means it is a solid fat for sure inside your body. So like <laughs> not super healthy, but so anyway, margarine is where I'm going today. It first became popular back in the 1870s because it was a lot cheaper than butter. Cheaper enough that dairy farmers started panicking, and as I alluded to at the beginning of this, don't mess with the dairy industry. So this triggered the so-called margarine wars, capital M, capital W. There's a great quote from Wisconsin Center at the time that I found in a Smithsonian Magazine article and repeated elsewhere because everyone is just like, this is great. He said, I want butter that has the natural aroma of life and health. I decline to accept as a substitute call fat matured under the chill of death, blended with vegetable oils and flavored by chemical tricks. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, very intense. There were also like political cartoons that showed uh, like stray cats getting mixed in with the margarine. I, I really don't. It was intense. <laughs> intense part of history. Uh, where does New Hampshire fit in since this is only in New Hampshire? Well, In 1891, New Hampshire was one of a handful of states that passed a law requiring margarine to be dyed pink. So sellers of non-pink margarine could face a fine of $100 or 60 days in prison. 
I did some back of the envelope math and that would be something like $2,500 today, which I feel is maybe not insane amounts. But then you, you think like if it was how many times they sold it or however that was calculated, it could be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and like pink margarine, which you can imagine nobody wants to spread pink anything on their food, which is why it was basically in favor of the dairy industries. But in 1898, this was a U.S. Supreme Court case, and they struck down the law. They said the state couldn't force manufacturers to add unappealing color or smell to whatever to suppress a product sales, that that basically was violated the rights of free trade, et cetera. Wow, that that is crazy. Man, I feel like there's a, a theme here of um, uh, tinting, artificially tinting foods. You have the plaster of Paris. I'm still stuck on the plaster of Paris thing, honestly. Oh, oh my gosh. And like all sorts of like, and, and like other less strange things, like they'd put molasses in it too, I guess. But then also there was this other weird part of margarine history where it, because it was like, well, they have to make it pink, but then there was also a thing where they can't make it yellow to make it look more like butter. <laughs> so then for a long time to get around that, margarine manufacturers would like give you your margarine with a, a little amount of yellow dye and be like, mix it in at home. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. We just can't accept things that are just like their natural color, which makes me think of the strawberry frosted donuts at um, Dunkin' Donuts, which are one of those foods that I'm like, this is not a real food. Like, I don't know what is in this, but it's definitely not real this strawberries. Not, this does not occur in nature, yeah. No, this color also is not natural, but it's still so delicious. Well, that's what I was thinking, like all this stuff, and it's like here we are complaining about red dye 40 or whatever, and we're at least it's not plaster Paris or like, you know, bright pink uh, margarine. Yeah, we've come so far. Yep, truly. Well, that wraps it up for today's episode. You can find more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting. Our theme music is composed by Mike Dunbar. And lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be part of what makes New Hampshire by the people, for the people.